Welcome to the Denver United Church Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor George Towers. Well, hey, what is going on, Denver United? Thank you so much for being here and jumping on with us on this 4th of July weekend. Uh, It's going to be amazing. We're going to have a lot of fun together today. Um, And for the past few weeks, uh, we have been in a series that's titled Encounters with Jesus. And uh, in this series, we've been exploring the four Gospels and kind of zooming in on a few of these specific encounters that Jesus had with certain individuals and sort of unpacking them and seeing what they may mean for us today in our time and place. And we're going to continue on that journey today. And uh, the, counter that, uh, the encounter that I want to look at uh, comes from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter number 20. Uh, this is after the uh, resurrection of Jesus. And actually, Pastor Daniel led us through a portion of this encounter a few weeks ago and his message. And if you missed that, uh, you should go back and listen to it because it was really good. Uh, but I'm going to look at this encounter from a slightly different vantage point today. And uh, we're going to begin reading in John chapter 20, verse number 19. And we're going to read through verse number 29. Um, And it says this, That Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, The disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Uh, A couple quick notes before we jump into this encounter this morning. Um, We notice in verse number 24 that Thomas has a nickname. It says his nickname was the twin. Now in the Greek, uh, that word is Didymus. So as we talk about Thomas today, I may refer to him as Thomas, Didymus, Diddy, any of those, like it's interchangeable, same dude we're talking about, okay? Now second thing, uh, it's from this encounter, ladies and gentlemen, that Thomas gains a long-standing nickname, one that is stuck to him like Gorilla Glue for the last 2,000 plus years, and that nickname is Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas, it's a thing, it's in Urban Dictionary, so you know like it's for real, it's here. And uh, so I, I just want to say, I think it's a little bit unfair that this name has stuck to him Uh, so severely for so long, right? Like, we don't call Peter sinking Peter, right, for the one time that he went to walk on water and it didn't end so well. Like, but for some reason, this nickname for Thomas is stuck, and I just don't think it's fair. So what I want to do today is I want to sort of look at this familiar passage from a slightly different angle um, between Jesus and Thomas and see if we can see what it might mean for us today in 2020. So the title of my message for just the next 20, 25, 24, I don't know, minutes or so is The Thing You Think You Need. 
the thing you think you need. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you show us what we actually need? Amen? Amen. So as always, uh, before we dive in, I want to take like a half step back and make sure that we're all in the same place uh, and where we are in the story of Jesus. This is sort of the pinnacle uh, of the gospel narrative. Uh, Things have not gone the way the disciples expected, though. Um, In their mind, this version of the Messiah would be sort of like an earthly king uh, who would come in and overthrow the Roman government, set up his physical kingdom and government on this earth, and and sort of rule here and now, and uh, it doesn't really go that way. (laughs) Instead of Jesus occupying a position of power on a throne, his disciples find him instead fastened to a cross on a hill, abandoned by all of his friends and his followers, and died what would have been considered a a criminal's death. And you and I now, we have the luxury of knowing what they didn't know, right? That like all of this wasn't a derailment of the plan, but in fact it was the very fulfillment of the plan that God had all along. In Acts chapter number 2, verse number 23, it says, But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. I love that line, that death could not keep him in its grip. It's sort of like death's hands got tired. They were too weak to hold the life that was contained in Jesus. And because of what he accomplished on the cross, Jesus defeated the power of sin and death. He reconciled us to God and he rose victorious over all things. And because of that reality, man, like you and I can be reconciled to God. Because of that reality, our sins have been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. Because of that reality, God has invited us into his family as sons and daughters and invited us in his partnership with restoring and building his kingdom here and now as it will be in heaven. Come on, if you're thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ, can we put our hands together right there? Woo, that's good, right? Like, so that's where we are. This is post-resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's beginning to make the first of his appearances to his disciples. And earlier in John chapter 20, he makes an appearance to to Mary Magdalene outside of the tomb. Um, But beyond that, he hasn't shown himself to any other of his followers. And that's sort of where we pick up in the story in verse number 19. The disciples are upstairs in 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 an upper room. The doors are locked. They are afraid. Why? Because they think that Jesus' fate is going to be theirs. Right? The same group of people that had Jesus killed, they're probably going to come for us and try to permanently squelch out this whole Jesus movement that has been happening for the last three years and turning the world upside down. So they are, are, are nervous, they're afraid, and it's in this moment where Jesus start to, starts to do Jesus stuff. Right? He, out of nowhere, just shows up in the middle of the room. Now, this would have been like if, if there's ever a time for, for instant replay or like, Scripture playback, like this would have been the scene I would want to see. These dudes are already on edge. They're already nervous. They're already a little bit afraid. And all of a sudden, Jesus takes that moment to go all David Blaine slash Houdini, and he just shows up, poof, I'm here. Like, you know Bartholomew was like, ah, Jesus, like I didn't know. And Jesus says, hey, peace be with you, chill. It's okay, calm down. He goes on to show them the wounds of his crucifixion sort of proving to them that he is who, some of y'all didn't know I could 
scream that high. That's the thing. Showing him the wounds of his crucifixion, proving to them that like he is who they think he is, that he is alive and well. He breathes on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. Can, man, can you imagine the emotion, the energy that was present in that room? A group of guys like, yo, we just saw our friend, our Lord, die like a couple days ago, and here he is. He's back. The deal is on. They're hype. They're on cloud nine, but there is one problem. And we see the problem in verse number 24. It says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, a.k.a. Didymus, a.k.a. Diddy, was not with the others when Jesus came. Thomas, he missed the meeting. One of the 12 that Jesus handpicked that followed him around for the past three years, turning the world upside down. We don't know where he was. All we know is that he wasn't there. He missed it. And he, his friends do what good friends do. They, like, caught him up. They pulled him aside. They're like, hey, Thomas, you ain't going to believe this, man. Like, we were in the room. The doors were locked. We were nervous. And Jesus was like, Poof, and Bartholomew was like, ah! And then, like, he showed us the wounds in his hands, and he showed us his side. Like, he was there. And we get to see Thomas' response to his friends telling them about his experience. Verse 25. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Thomas says, I won't believe unless, unless, and he gives his list. These are the three things I need in order to believe what you just told me. Number one, I need to see the wounds in his hands. Okay. Number two, I need to put my fingers into them. Now, that gets a little weird there. Like, I was with you on number one. A little strange, we'll let it slide. Number three is where Thomas is wild, he's out of line. Number three, I need to put my hand into the wound in his side. Like, bro, like, what? What, Thomas? Like, that's a lot. But he's like, hey, these are the three things I need. These are the dimensions of my doubt. These are the things that I need to believe what you just told me. And it's from this list. This moment where Thomas gets his long-standing nickname of Doubting Thomas. Now, let's be fair. He is totally doubting right now. Like, that's what he's doing. He's, he doesn't believe it. His friends just came and told him what had happened. What had happened was, and, and Thomas's response is essentially this. Nah, son, I disagree. <laughs> like, I just don't think so. Like, he just doesn't believe that it happened. He totally doubted, no, no question. But... Do you know who else doubted the resurrection of Jesus? Let's start with everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, no one believed. Even though multiple times throughout his life, Jesus said, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to return on the third day. As far as I can read, there were approximately zero people standing outside of the tomb on Sunday morning, counting backwards from ten. Like, ten, nine, James, get the camera, bro. This is going to be wild. Eight, seven, here he comes. Like, no one was there. Let's be more specific. Do you know who else doubted the resurrection of Jesus? All of his disciples. The same group of people that he just revealed himself to all doubted. We get to see a different angle on these post-resurrection happenings in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 24. In, in Luke's account, he tells us that early on Sunday morning, uh, a group of women went to the tomb, and they had all these burial spices. They were preparing to anoint the body of Jesus. And they were expecting, like everyone else, that the body would still be there because 
usually when people die, they stay dead. At least that's how it worked back then. I don't, you know, no. So they get there. The, the stone has been rolled away. There's no body. They're freaking out. A couple of angels show up, and they're like, hey, he's not here. He is risen from the dead just like he said he would. He called his shot. He pulled it off. And they remind this group of women that Jesus predicted, man, that he would be betrayed and crucified and rise from the dead. And we see their response in Luke chapter 24, verse number 8. It says, then they remembered that he had said this. So they, the women, rushed back, rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. Watch this. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. Okay, wait. So look at the scenario. It's like the same thing. You have a group of people who had an experience with the risen Christ they go back to tell another group of people who weren't there, and the disciples' responses, the women are like, yo, it was crazy that the, the, the angels were there, and he wasn't. Their response was, nah, son, I disagree. You know, like, I don't think so. Like, they, they didn't believe it either. They all, doubting Thomas? How about doubting everybody? Like, if, let's be fair. No one believed. Everyone doubted. And can you fault them, man? Like, it's, it's kind of a crazy story. They weren't there. They didn't have the personal experience. I get why they doubted. They all doubted. A quick word on doubt. I think that doubt is a little bit like digging. Here's what, here's what I mean by that. Like, if I were to take a shovel and, and go out and dig in the ground, right, like I, I make a hole, right? I make a, I make a void. There's a space that will eventually be filled with something. Now, I'm not a professional hole digger or anything like that. I don't claim to be. But usually people don't just dig holes for sport, right? If you see a guy out digging a hole, it's like all right, he's either trying to get something out of the ground or put something into the ground. But whatever, he's, whatever they're doing, they're creating a space that will eventually be filled with something. And I think our doubts work similarly. Um, when we bump up against something in our walk with God that is difficult to believe, when we encounter something that makes trust and belief challenging, our doubt digs a hole in our faith. Our, our doubt carves out a space, a void. I, my faith, ha like I want to believe, but my faith has holes in it. Like Thomas is like, I want to believe, man, but like the whole thing is, seems crazy and dead people don't come back. And I wasn't, like he wants to believe, but his, his, his doubt has, his, his, his faith has holes in it. Doubt digs a hole. It creates a space, a void in our faith. But luckily, man, I think the good news is that we serve a God who loves to fill empty spaces. We serve a God who loves to fill empty spaces. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, speaking of Jesus, it says that Christ fills all things everywhere with himself. I love that. He fills all things everywhere with himself, and you can't fill what's already full. In order for him to fill something, there has to be a space, there has to be a void, and our doubt creates a hole, a space, an opportunity in our faith. And I want to say this, that doubt creates a space that God wants to fill. Your doubt creates a space that God wants to fill, and we see this in the encounter. I love that about our God, that he was not content to leave his disciples in their doubt and their despair. He circles back 
for them so that they can have their own personal experience with Jesus in that upper room. And the same God that circled back for the disciples circles back for Thomas. He's not content to leave Thomas with a space, a gap in his soul, and he rushes back to fill it. Our doubt creates a space that God wants to fill. But here's the twist. He may not fill it with the thing that you think you need. (laughs) Our doubt creates a space that God wants to fill, but he may not fill it with the thing that you think you need. We pick the story back up in John 20, verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. Bet he was. I was like, I ain't leaving y'all. Don't leave me next time. I was getting ready, and y'all pulled off. Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer but believe. Jesus does the same thing as he did before. Doors are locked. Everyone's there. They're nervous. Here, ah, Bartholomew, whole thing goes down. He's like, peace be with you. And then he turns his attention to Thomas. Yo, Thomas, hey, this is what encouraged me. God hears your questions. He hears your doubt. He notices the thing that makes belief hard for you. And even though Jesus wasn't there when Thomas initially made his list, He heard it. God heard it, and he looks at him, and he goes, hey, look at my hands. Go ahead. Do what you got to do. Because I'm weird, and I have to, like, visualize all these stories, I think this could have been one of the most awkward moments in all of Scripture. (laughs) Like, I'm like, okay, when he put his hand in his side, did they, like, were people talking? Was it quiet? Like, did they look at each other? When he did, like, was it a quick insert? Was he like, ah, (laughs) or did he leave it in for a while? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, but here's the thing I noticed. It never actually says that Thomas did the thing that he said he would need to do in order to believe. It never says that he put his, let's read it again. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Jesus sort of offers him an invitation. He's like, here, put your hand here. Do what you got to do. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Let's go. Let's do this. This is what you need. Let's go. That's the side that he was opening. And Thomas' response, I want you to see this. He says, my Lord and my God. He responds with a declaration of faith and belief. And part of me is like, wait, Thomas, what about your list? What about the things that you said you would need to do? I didn't see you putting your fingers in and, and putting your hand. Like, at a certain point, the thing that Thomas thought he needed to fill the hole in his faith was not what he actually needed at all. What he ultimately needed was a personal, firsthand experience with Jesus. And that was enough for him to say, man, my Lord, my God, I don't need the thing I thought I needed. What I ultimately needed was a person, an encounter with Jesus, and that was enough for him. We see the same idea play out, ironically, in another encounter that Jesus has with Thomas, of all people, in in John chapter number 14. This is one of the last conversations that Jesus has with his disciples before his crucifixion. And in John 14, verse number 1, it says this, Jesus speaking. 
He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will be, always be with me where I am. Jesus says, and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. <laughs> I love Thomas. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus is telling his friends, I'm about to leave, but don't worry. I'm preparing a place. I'm going to come back and get you so that you can be where I am. And don't worry, guys. You know the way to where I'm going. And I love Thomas, man. He's like, question real fast. Um, no, we don't know, Lord. <laughs> He's like, wait, um, if we don't know where you're going, you see him digging? He's like, if we don't know where you're going, if we don't know the destination, like, how are we going to know the way? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying, I'm not doubting, I'm just digging. I'm just trying to, like, figure out how we could know the way if we don't know the destination. He asks a question. He creates a space. And God does what he always does. He rushes in to fill that space, but not with the thing that Thomas thought that he needed. He answers the question on a completely different level. He's like, we don't know the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No person comes to the Father except through me. Thomas thought he needed a route, but what he actually needed was a revelation that the whole thing is not about a, a, a it's not Google Maps. I'm talking about a person, and Jesus says, I am the way. You know the way, not because you know all the details, but because you know me. The thing that we think we need is not more information. It's not Google Maps. <laughs> It's not more content. It's not an equation. Jesus says, I am the way. What we really need that's going to fill the holes in our faith, created by our doubts and our questions and our digging, is a person. It's an encounter with Jesus, and he is enough, and the rest always has a way of falling into place. Do you have doubts? <laughs> Do you have do you have questions? Man, I know like I do. I, I might be chief among you. I walk around with this shovel. Like I'm the dude who's always digging and saying, well, what about this? Or I don't know, you know. But I think what this encounter shows us is that it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have things that make belief difficult for you. And what I love is that Jesus was not intimidated by Thomas's doubts and Thomas's questions. They weren't enough to keep Jesus at bay at a distance, but instead he met him in his doubts. Do you have doubts? It's okay. If Jesus isn't freaking out about our holes, then maybe we shouldn't either. <laughs> I grew up in a church culture where, man, as soon as somebody saw one of these, if you ask one question, like, I'm just trying to figure out, like the religious police would, would swarm in and, and pray a blessing over you and make you get saved again, just in case, right? Like, people would freak out when you ask a question and have a doubt. And I think this passage shows us, part of what it shows is that it's okay. Jesus hears your doubts. He understands the things that make belief difficult for you. And he's not intimidated. And in fact, he wants to meet you there. Heard someone say that doubt creates questions, questions lead to answers, and answers lead to a deepening faith and trust in Jesus. 
think about this. Like if, if Thomas hadn't been bold enough to dig and be like, wait, I don't, I don't know the way. Like we wouldn't have the line, the response from Jesus that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like if he hadn't raised that question, we wouldn't have that answer. If Thomas didn't say like, yo, I need to have a personal experience with myself, we wouldn't have the all-important line that Jesus says at the end that says, blessed, you believe because you've seen me. All of you guys have believed because you've seen me. Blessed are those that believe without seeing. He's talking about you and I. As far as I know it, Chad, you haven't seen like physically Jesus in the back room, right? Like, but without the question, without the doubt, without the whole, there would have been nothing for Jesus to fill that would have been so beneficial for us today. So if you have doubts, man, like don't be intimidated by them. God is not. He wants to meet you in that space and he wants to fill them. But it may not be with the thing that you think you need. This isn't a message about apologetics, you know what I'm saying? Like all of us have some version. We, have all, we all have holes in our faith in some way. We all have voids and empty spaces, things that make belief difficult for us. And that difficulty creates a hole, a gap, a, a space in our soul and in our heart. For you, maybe it is like a literal thing where you're like, yeah, I want to believe, but I'm trying to figure out like scripture and science and how they get the animals on the, the ark and what about the dinosaurs. Like for you, like that, that's a space that God wants to meet you in. But for others of us, maybe the thing that makes, makes belief difficult for you is you had a really tough relationship go wrong and you're starting to question, will, will I ever be whole again? Will I ever be happy again? And there's a, there's a space in your soul. Man, God wants to fill that. Maybe you lost a job through all of this. And you're starting to doubt and to question, man, is God actually going to provide for me? Is he actually aware? And, and, you're, and, and that creates a space, a gap, a void in your faith and in your soul. Man, God wants to fill that empty space. But the thing that he's going to fill it with, that we're going to be ultimately sustained by, is not some outside thing. If you had a relationship go bad, man, I pray that God brings someone else for you. If you lost a job, man, I believe God wants to provide employment and finances for you. But the thing that's ultimately going to fill that hole in your soul, that, that gap in your faith, it's going to be a personal encounter with a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. He wants to flood into that empty space and do for you what nothing else can do. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have things and situations that make it difficult for us to believe. But the thing that ultimately God wants to fill that with is himself. And I pray that for you today, man. Like maybe you're someone who's been looking over the fence of Christianity and you're like, man, I might, I'm thinking about coming over, but I got so many holes back here. Like I'm like Shia LaBeouf, you know what I'm saying? Like I got mad holes and, and I, I don't, I got to figure this stuff out before I commit to follow Jesus. No, you don't. There's room for you. <laughs> bring your doubt, bring your empty spaces. <laughs> That's part of what this whole thing is. If you don't have any, you'll get some along the way. There's room for you, and maybe for you, this is your day where you decide, man, like, I want to follow Jesus in spite of my doubt and my questions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring them with me, and God's going to fill those gaps with himself. And maybe you're someone else who you've experienced something that's made belief difficult for you. Man, my prayer for you today and this week is that you have an encounter with a person. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the way. <laughs> and the thing you think you need isn't probably what you actually need in the long term. 
God wants to fill you with a personal encounter that only comes from himself. So Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that anything I said that's just me, my opinion, God, may it fall to the ground, but may your word stick in our hearts today. God, I pray for every person listening that has holes. We've got something that makes belief difficult. Lord, I pray that we would have an encounter with you, that you would fill those empty spaces with yourself. I pray for everybody that might be listening to this, that, that for the first time, maybe today, they're going to make a decision to follow you in, in, in spite of their doubts and their questions and all their holes. God, may, may you give them the grace to continue, and may, may you give them an, an encounter with you today and this week. And Lord, as we were singing earlier, God, nothing else will do. <laughs> There's nothing else we want. There's nothing else that can satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. The thing that's ultimately going to fill those spaces is you, God, and nothing else. That's our prayer. Will you meet us in this today and as we walk this out this week? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We hope you've been encouraged this week. For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com. 